everyone, and welcome to another episode of What the Brewing Seeds About. This podcast is produced for the California Community College's Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader, currently the CISFA past president. My co-host Dana is off and busy today doing real work, so it's just me, you, and the news. So let's get the show started. All right, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's Brewing CISFA. Let's get the show started with our first cup. So I've already had my first cup and I was busy trying to get a little of my sparkling water here because there must be some frozen part to it. I just cracked open the can and it was about to just spurt all over the place. It was coming out the top like, you know, when you get ice inside a uh, aluminum can. So let me get rid of some of that for us. So we can start in today. So <clears throat> first and foremost, before we get into the news, hopefully everyone in CISFA has seen at least one or more emails about Financial Aid 101 training that is coming up next week. So if your staff hasn't signed up for the directors out there or you yourself want to sign up for our listeners, uh, please do so. Do so soon. It's Tuesday and Thursday afternoon. Or I'm sorry, Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons next week. It's about four hours each day. I believe we emailed all financial aid directors and everyone in our CISFA member database about this as I don't think we have a direct link on the website. I think because of, again, we're focusing this training for really people who are brand new to financial aid. So if you want to include, say, people outside financial aid from your campus, academic counselors, advisors, people in welcome centers, uh, et cetera, support staff, it's not a bad idea. This training is kind of really a 101. It's a start of financial aid. Although some of it will mimic stuff that we do at all directors and new directors when it comes to uh, knowing about resources and things like that and processes, it really is aimed uh, for those who are pretty much new to financial aid. So sign up soon. I believe we're over 100 people already. It's virtual. Uh, hopefully one of these days we'll be back to doing this financial aid 101 training in person. Otherwise, the rest of today is going to be news. We have quite a few items up on the board, I can see. So we'll start right away and into it with some news from Federal Student Aid, our partners out there at the federal level. So the first thing I have here is a general electronic announcement put out just recently, April 1st, letting us know that appendices and errata sheets are available now for the FSA handbook and the application and verification guide. And so this is uh, including... 2021-22 and the 2022-23 school year. It says here now the appendices for 2021-22 are now available. And so this is appendices that go along with all the volumes and chapters that normally come out for the Federal Student Aid Handbook. And also then they've revised the application and verification guide for 2022-23 uh, related to the inclusion of spousal support payments as a type of untaxed income that must be reported 
by receiving spouses. Uh, this revision is described, as they say in their errata and updates for the FSA handbook for the coming school year. So there's a number of updates there. I will give you a link to this electronic announcement in our show notes. I'll try to get it all out as I post the show today. I think I have enough time. That's a reference to last week's news where uh, I just posted an update to the show notes that included links to all the articles and such that I discussed at last week's news show. Next update, again, from Federal Student Aid Training, just to let you know that their FSA conference will be virtual again, uh, November 29th through December 1st of this year. So this was posted March 30th to let us know that the Federal Student Aid Training Conference for Financial Aid Professionals will be held virtually November 29th through December 1st. Um, You know, and again, as it says here, while there are many influencing factors that support the virtual event for 2022, most critical is that it will make the important training accessible to the widest audience. So, again, they've done this two years in a row, so they've really got it under the belt. But I have to say, and it does say here, registration will open into fall. I'm hoping A, by fall, we're better off on everything when it comes to pandemic-related discussions and the pandemic. But I do hope they go back to an in-person event. It's one of the few times you get to mingle with the feds themselves where they have a ask a fed table or two. You can literally ask whatever questions you want. I suggest for all those who do borrow a name tag from somebody not from your school and not of your own. That way, in case they take down a name or something, when you say, I have a friend who wants to know if this is legal, you've got yourself a good alibi. Not that you would have anything wrong or illegal going on, but it's not a bad idea. Or turn your name tag over, really. Uh, But there's just so much benefit to being in person. Now, I haven't gone to too many FSA conferences, uh, but when they've been in person, again, the ability to mingle and talk to people from the Department of Ed and also people from other colleges. I mean, I ran into my first boss when I was a grad student down in Missouri who had already retired (laughs) just recently uh, around the time I went to a conference, so maybe in the last five or so years, uh, after going to a number of other schools and moving his way up the chain in financial aid. So it's amazing who you'll run into uh, at these in-person conferences. So I hope the feds take the listening to this and consider that maybe for 2023. Now, other things going on on the federal front. I have some news from NASFA and their Blue Icon Advisors. This is their consulting arm. They have these regular Let's Talk events or sessions or webinars, whatever you want to call them, where their advisors and counselor consultants will talk on a broad topic for us. And uh, just one of them that's coming up here. Now, they've got one coming up next week on data security and one in May on program review preparation. But the one I think we should all, unfortunately, does say session full, hopefully you got signed up, was about preparing for FAFSA simplification. So hopefully they'll have a recording on this because, you know, there are changes coming. And the idea here is to, you know, talk with colleagues and have an interactive conversation about how we are at the schools preparing for FAFSA simplification. Uh 
It says here on their notes on their website, note this is not a technical Q&A session. But really, it's just really to get in your mind prepping for how FAFSA simplification will work at the schools. We've talked about some of the items along the way. For example, expected family contribution turns into student aid index. The formula changes a little bit because of what information is asked for on the FAFSA. How we treat divorced parents as far as who needs to provide information on the FAFSA changes. Not using the number in college as part of the formula changes. And of course, some things that have already been put in place, because the things that I've talked about are coming up still. You know, the fact that selective service no longer is an eligibility requirement for FAFSA. If you're still male, 18 to 25, I say, you still must register with selective service because you may be counting yourself out for other federal benefits later in life. And then the other one that went into effect early was the fact that if you had been directed, uh, convicted of selling or possessing illegal drugs while receiving financial aid, although the question still on the FAFSA is no longer an eligibility requirement. So those were, in a sense, written out in December of 2021. FAFSA simplification was passed with a larger uh, federal bill by Congress. So there are some other sessions beyond that. Uh, just so you know, coming up here from NASA and their Blue Icon Advisors Keep a look on their page. I'll give you the link in our show notes. One other thing coming up from NASFA, which is always good to see when I see these, and it probably makes me buy more books than I can, uh, not that I can afford, but that I have time to read. But they have book reviews occasionally from members out there in the field. So this book review that they have is on the book, Sustainable, Resilient, Free, The Future of public higher education. So this book, authored by John Warner, dives into what he argues is the main driver behind the skyrocketing cost of higher education, and he proposes a solution for how higher education can survive. I'm reading from what NASA talks about here. You know, the focus here is on competition over the last 40 years, and his main contention apparently in the book is that higher education must be rethought as a public good rather than purely private good. Uh, and so um, it's going to be an interesting read here. The review was by Alexander Scar, who is a financial aid counselor at Clayton State University. So I'm not going to go reading his whole long article here for you, although I think it's going to be interesting. And if anything, maybe just go out and pick up the book and read it. I can say I have plenty of higher education related books not specific on financial aid that I haven't gotten to yet. I bring them all to the office, and then when I need some reading material, take one along with me. But again, the book, Sustainable, Resilient, Free, The Future of Public Higher Education. So check that out. It must be available at all your fine booksellers. One last thing on the federal and state front, and we'll take an early break because I've got some other articles here to get into. From our friends at the California Student Aid Commission, they have a special alert that came out just a couple days ago, or I should say a day ago on Tuesday, April 5th, with an update on virtual training events in April. So again, we have CalGrant regional trainings 
Uh, there was one today. There will be another one on Monday, June 20th in the afternoon. And this is what we call Session A on CSAC updates, institutional eligibility, Cal Grant overview, and the California Dream Act application. They also have what they do there, Session B, which is on disbursements and payments, payment scenarios, navigating web grants, reports and tools, reconciliation, and program compliance. And again, they have a session for that on Thursday this week and another one come June 21st. Lastly, in that group, they have Session C, which is about foster youth programs and the middle class scholarship. They have a session this Friday on April 8th in the morning and June 22nd. Other events are coming up throughout the month of April. Everything from updates on the California, or I should say the Community College Entitlement Cal Grant Program, or what we call the E3 program. That's coming up in a couple weeks. A separate one just on programs for foster youth intended for high school counselors and financial aid administrators at colleges. A little Cal Grant 101 coming up at the end of the month and a variety of other workshops that are coming up. So this is all in a special alert. I'll give you the link to in our show notes about all the different virtual training. I will say come fall in talking with my partners at the SUNAID Commission, we are looking to try to have for those annual statewide financial aid workshops, what we used to call the high school counselor workshops because they were 90% of our audience. We're going to have these annual workshops, hopefully in person again and virtual come this fall. So be on the lookout for that. If I can get my school to host, we will have it here because we'll easily get a couple hundred or more high school counselors come out to the event. And it's a little bit on FAFSA. It's a little bit on federal aid. And it's a lot on state aid from the SUNAID Commission people, you know, giving updates for high school counselors because they are readily involved in the process. They're helping students, of course, get out of high school and graduate, helping them with their applications to school, having to do some things to make certain they could be considered, the students could be considered for Cal Grant. And so these trainings are really useful. Be on the lookout for more information on dates and events and sites, probably sometime over the summer. Well, before we move on for the rest of our news, give you a little bit of music and we'll be right back. Just like that, we're back for our second segment, also known as our second cub segment. I had to get better at moving that music into the sound effects world. So let's pick up on where uh, CASFA has recently posted to their website, training opportunities for the month of April. Now already some of these have uh, come and gone because we are a few days into the month. But I just want to cherry pick a few that sound interesting to you as it sound, hopefully it sounds interesting to me. Hopefully it'll sound interesting to you. So uh, again, this is useful for yourself or for others maybe that are on your campus that work with students. Because I see one here on personal finance, understanding and building credit. This will be offered on April 14th in the morning at 11 by Citizens Bank. And it talks about, you know, if you've ever wondered how your credit score is determined and what you can do to build credit, 
this is the way to do it. You know, how how identity theft and fraud can compromise your credit, you can learn about that. And so you'll learn how to build, maintain, and protect the credit profile. Not bad for all of us to know because it helps us then when we talk to students and hopefully dispel some of the myths about credit ratings and how to keep credit, let alone build it. There's some also stuff on introduction to the 2021 tax forms and tax code being offered uh, later in the month on the 19th. This is being put on by CASFA. So again, this is about understanding tax returns and all and where the information is on the tax return that you need for your FAFSA or DREAM Act form. Also about new line items on the tax forms that may or may not be reported as untaxed income. That often can be confusing and changes to the tax code that were implemented in 2020 or earlier that may have expired and how these expirations may impact financial aid. Keep in mind capacity for this session, which will be online, may be limited, so it will be first come, first serve. Training's on April 19th, and again, introduction to the 2021 tax forms and tax code. There is a long five-page document of other things coming up between now and then, I will give you the link to the CASFA website and their training listings that you can pull down for yourself and see if there's something that interests you or if you're a financial aid director, your staff. Now, not specific to financial aid, I have a number of these interesting articles that I found uh, online, uh, either through friends or otherwise. But there is one here uh, that uh, is interesting. It says here, from NPR, just something that they had Uh, reported on towards the end of March. Community college enrollment is down, but skilled trade programs are booming. And some of this kind of makes sense when you think about it, you know, as far as students who might not have wanted to, you know, go to traditional college, but are doing something else. And so they talk about, and the first thing they introduce here is a student who with her classmates are in a warehouse-like room, cutting wood and piecing together rafters of a shed. Their students at Texas State Technical College working on an associate degree in construction. There you go. And so it's an interesting article, read through quite a bit, but it talks about kind of the shift of enrollment during the pandemic as far as what programs are up and what programs as far as enrollment are down. You know, programs from agriculture and related sciences significantly up, construction trades are up architecture and related services. So that could be, you know, drafting or other design work are up. Programs that are fairly down quite a bit. Unfortunately, physical sciences, you know, English language and uh, literature uh, studies and such. Math and statistics down. Hmm. I think everyone still needs math, hopefully. But it's got some nice work here in the article. And again, brings out the idea that students might be looking for programs outside the traditional realm of two- or four-year degree programs uh, and looking at trades-type programs. And again, there's always a need for people in the trade, and you can earn very reasonable, if not very decent money, uh, if you find your way through or up the chain in those trades. So never count those out. Also, an article here from Cal Matters, and this one is entitled Lawmakers Consider Boosting Financial Aid for Private College Students. 
And so what it is is there's a Senate bill that would alter the Cal Grant program, as there's been other ones out there proposed, that would open up additional funds to students attending private colleges and also change transfer student targets. So the, the idea here would be to increase the amount of money private students can receive through the Cal Grant program. So this is Senate Bill 851, as it says here, would stabilize state aid for students by ensuring their awards won't be reduced if private colleges fail to accept a certain number of community college transfer students. See, it already sounds complicated. It also allow the award to grow with inflation and make it possible for private college students to receive as much as $6,000 in supplemental aid if they're raising children or if they are current or former foster youth. So this will probably get a little into weeds for some of us because the idea here is we do have Cal grants and generally it's, you know, if you get a Cal grant A or B, there's A, B, and C among other things, you know, it can cover your tuition at a Cal state or a UC. And then you get a certain dollar amount set at the community colleges because we don't officially have tuition. We have enrollment fees. But at a private school for these A's and B's, they can get, usually it's a set amount. Like at a school, say like a Pepperdine or a USC, it's right around $9,000. For other for-profit private schools, that amount is usually set at a lower amount. I think it was still $4,000 last time I checked. But this bill here, in a sense, could raise that amount and also untie some of these other things about transfer student things. You know, so there's a cut in awards of about $1,100 if a private college sector doesn't accept a certain number of community college transfer students who have earned an associate degree for transfer. And so there's a lot of strings here tied. I'm going to let you read the full article out of Cal Matters. And, you know, even if you're not in financial aid, it's not a bad idea to understand some of this so you can see the intricacies behind our state aid programs. So if we think federal programs are complicated, state aid programs tend to be a little more complicated because not everyone has their own form, so they piggyback off of students doing the federal aid form, the FAFSA. And then they set other rules and other things to uh, take into account the market in your state. You know, private schools, public schools. Profit, nonprofit. Whether you're trying to aim to keep students in a sequence of going to community college and then on to four year school and thus having Cal grants available for students who transfer, or what do you do about non traditional students? So, you know, that's always been a big thing. Our standard Cal grant entitlement program, as we call it, primarily aimed at our traditional students. So for older students, it was a little harder to get a Cal grant. Some of these things are changing, and that's why this article from Cal Matters is very interesting. Now, the next article I have is an interesting one I read, and I may have talked a little bit about this last week, and I may bring this up as a topic in uh, future shows with some of my financial aid director friends. But this comes from EdSource on Dorms Eyed for Community Colleges at Ease California Housing Crunch. So I think we may have talked about this where there's 11 of the 116 community colleges that do have housing on their campus or near campus or sponsored by their campus in some way. But I bring it up again because I we just had town halls on our campus to talk about it as far as whether this is a priority or not. And I think it's something that we really do need to look at. I think there's a lot of pros and cons. Maybe we can get some people who actually work currently in campus housing. I worked prior 
in campus housing uh, to talk more about this. So I'm going to give you the link to this in case I did not include it last week or when I talked about it because I want to make certain people do look at it. Now, another article from Cal Matters, and this kind of relates a little bit to the article from NPR about, you know, the increases of students going into uh, trade programs, trades. This one's uh, from Cal Matters again, calmatters.org, about the collapse of community college enrollment and can California turn it around? I'm just happy it's not my school. That's the picture on the front of the article. As they say here, in summary, despite sinking overall enrollment, some community colleges are seeing more students come back. Targeted state aid is likely helping, but so is more in-person instruction. So, you know, as it says here, you know, uh, after, you know, our uh, enrollment collapse after 2020, lawmakers last year gave the system of public two-year schools $120 million to help stem the tide of departing students to bring them back. If you really think about that, though, that's about a million dollars a school. Sounds like a lot, but uh, not to say we're not efficient at all. But as far as how we hire and other uh, issues of hiring, it may not be the most efficient thing to think, oh, a million dollars will go really far. You know, so far as it says here, progress is uneven. Through last fall, so fall of 2021, just 17 of the 116 community colleges have seen the number of students they enroll grow since the fall of 2020. At 42 42 of the colleges, more students left in the fall of 2021 than in fall of 2020. This is a based upon a Cal Matters analysis of uh, system enrollment data. So uh, it's something to take into account here, you know, as far as uh, and take a look at is our enrollment changes. I know I was just listening to the NASFA off the cuff podcast, and they had a research analyst who happened to do her studies in Wisconsin at University of Wisconsin the school, the University of Wisconsin, not the one I went to, real one at Madison. And she talked to some of this because it's certainly making around through Congress discussions on this matter. And so she had some ideas and some thoughts on this whole change in enrollment scheme as far as what's happening and what might be done or what could be done. Because the biggest topic that was being discussed was the idea of mandatory FAFSA filing for high school seniors. And it's still early in the, we're still early in this whole cycle for this as uh, states, other than California, which will kick in this year for us, uh, are putting in these kinds of requirements for high school seniors that they must complete their FAFSA to graduate. So this is just a very interesting article here, you know, again, talking to enrollment because it is an issue most of the community colleges are facing as far as numbers going down. And this would, of course, include things like students who file for the FAFSA. And so here it does talk a little bit about Rio Hondo uh, College, which is near us out there in the Whittier area, and how it saw its number of students inch up a little bit from one fall to another, but still short of where they were back in fall of 2019, pre-pandemic. And it says here, you know, so what they talk about is how they use some of their money that they got at their school from that $120 million dollars in uh, to hire 10 part-time staffers who coach students through applying for federal and state aid, which again, finances is a big deal on going to school. 
And that money, uh, you know, came from last year's smaller allotment of re-enrollment funding. Um, I know I talked with a colleague probably a year ago or so because I was seeing that they were using some of their emergency and funding in a similar manner and was hiring all these, I wouldn't call them short-term. I think it was like a max four-year part-time position, but she was hiring eight of them. And so I think I went to someone on my campus and goes, why are we not looking at this? You know, because we talk about hiring people for a few months or temporary. But this was like a long-term, limited uh, term, I think they call it in a sense that, you know, when the three or four years are up, unfortunately, that job does end. It's not a uh, permanent classification on campus. But why we weren't looking at something like that to, again, help students with the aid process, help them through the application process, getting them to see their counselor, and getting them through school. Just some interesting stuff here. So, again, I'll definitely give you a link to this article. I think it's good, long reading. I have a bunch of other articles. I think I'm going to actually save some of these because they're so exciting. In fact, there's one uh, about how ICE, you know, the Immigration and Customs people, set up a fake college to catch fraudsters. I'm going to save that one for the next time. I've got one about student affairs workforce facing retention issues. Uh, I can't see why we wouldn't, along with everyone else out there. We got another one on, are graduate degree programs worth it? Coming from uh, the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal, one of those websites I like to visit. And then lastly, I'll have an article, assuming I can still get into it, uh, on college degree mandates and how they are hurting workers. This is the idea that, you know, you have to have a bachelor's degree to apply for a job that you might not think of needing a bachelor degree. But let's take a little musical break, head ourselves into our last segment here, and then move ourselves along. All right, everyone. We are into that last part of the show. What else could it be? But it's time for our last sip. Almost poured myself an extra cup there. So with it being the last part of the show, I want to make certain that we get out of here at a reasonable period of time. It's our I Dare You To time. I want to let you know if you didn't know, uh, baseball season is upon us. Yes, they started a little late with spring training, but we are heading our way into the real baseball season. So I do want to put out there, I dare you to go out to a game, maybe not opening day in your uh, local uh, stadium, because those tickets are sometimes a little more expensive, a little harder to get in. You got to save a little bit of extra time to make certain you get to the park on time. But find a game early in the season. If you can, go out to the website of your favorite team, like let's say, Dodgers.com and check out ticketing. Usually it's like the middle game sometimes of a three game series with a team is a little easier to get into. Or even sometimes the last game of a three game or four game series might be a little less expensive. But go out to a game, enjoy it. You know, whether it's uh, if you're going to a night game, even in LA, you kind of have to dress appropriate with sweatshirts and coats and all because it can be just a little bit cold as you get into those late innings. And yes, the games do go more than a couple hours. Keep that in mind, everyone. 
But that's really about all we have for today. I want to move people along. So I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in. And if you have something to say or you have some topics for us, email us at wbcsfa at gmail.com. You can find this and all What's Brewing Seasfa podcasts on Google Podcasts, your Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing Seasfa is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and Dana Yarbrough. This has been episode number 172. Recorded Wednesday, April 6th, 2022. Everyone have a great day and have a great week.